want to take just a moment to speak with the children who are here and those of you who are worshiping from home. I love Palm Sunday. It's so beautiful in here, and I hope it was beautiful at your house too, waving our palms or singing our songs of praise to Jesus. It's a happy way to begin worship. And next Sunday will be Easter, which will also be the happiest day of the year when we Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But in between this Sunday and Easter, there's a sad story. There's a lot of sadness And we've heard some of that story just now. Because Jesus is arrested, he's condemned to death, and he's killed. He dies. And we'll celebrate Sunday that he's raised from the dead. But I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus walked through these really sad days. Because we have sad days too. And there are times in our lives when life is really hard. And it's helpful for me to know that Jesus understands that no matter what I go through, whatever it is that makes me sad or is painful in my life or in our world, Jesus has been through it and he understands and is with us. And because of Jesus, we have hope for good news and for resurrection and that the sadness won't last, but it will be replaced by joy. Let's pray together. Dear God, we're so thankful for Jesus, for his courage, for his love for us, that he was willing to suffer and die so that when we go through sad things, when we suffer, we know that we're not alone and that you are with us and you understand. We thank you that he rose from the dead to remind us that you are always there to save us and bring joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Like many of you children and those of you watching, I grew up going to church. Almost every Sunday my family was in church. And so I've heard a lot of sermons in my life. And I heard a lot of sermons as a child and as a teenager. I have to say I don't remember many specifics. But I do remember one in particular. The pastor I had when I was a teenager, Dr. Bob Spain, who later became Bishop Bob Spain, preached a sermon one year on Barabbas. He took on the character of Barabbas and retold the story of this moment that Brant read for us, this moment when Barabbas was set free and Jesus was condemned. And from that moment on, I've been extra curious about Barabbas. I've wanted to know more about his story. Was he changed by what happened to him? Why was he in prison in the first place? And I've always wanted to preach about Barabbas. But the lectionary calendar doesn't give us many Sundays to talk about these events that happened between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. The whole story of Jesus' passion, his his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, the denial of Peter, the the betrayal of Judas, these moments before Pilate are all contained in this one week. And if we don't come to Monday Thursday service or Good Friday service, we might not hear the story of Jesus' suffering and passion. 
And so as it turns out, I really haven't had many opportunities to preach on Barabbas. So I thought, this is the year. I'm going to dig into this story of Barabbas. Good gracious, what was I thinking? This is a painful and difficult story. Just these few verses that we heard contain so much that needs unpacking. It's a painful story first and foremost because this is the moment when Jesus is condemned to die. This is the moment when we see the crowd who've just been waving our palm branches, shouting at the end of the story, crucify him to an innocent man. This is the moment when that many have used, as Pastor Brandon mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this story has been used over the centuries as a reason for anti-Semitism and persecuting Jewish people to blame them for the death of Jesus. When that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus gave his life for. So we have to be careful hearing a story like this. And we have to sort through all these layers of, of pain. It's a difficult story because we see all of these power struggles going on. All of the ways that the different characters in the story are are manipulating and using their power and, and jealous and all of these things. And then we watch as Jesus says nothing. All he says in this passage is early on when Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And he simply says, you say so. He accepts what's happening to him. He he allows it to happen even though he knows he's innocent and a lot of people there, Pilate even knows he's innocent. And it's hard to bear witness to that silence in this moment. But before we examine Jesus' response in this story, I want to take a few minutes to to look at the different power struggles that are happening. We have lots of people wielding their power and manipulating things in this story. At the top of the heap, the apex predator, if you will, is Pilate himself. Now, I know the way he is portrayed in the text, he seems maybe neutral or kind of ambivalent about this. In another version, in another gospel, he tries to wash his hands of it. But there's no doubt about it. Pilate holds the power in this story. As the representative of the Roman government, he has power of life and death over any of those Jews gathered there. And the historical record seems to suggest that Pilate was a particularly cruel and ruthless leader. It was nothing to him to to crucify someone, guilty or not, to keep reminding the Jewish people of the power that Rome had over them. I could almost imagine this tradition he has of allowing the crowd to choose who will go free and who will be condemned is, is, is kind of a cruel joke. So there's Pilate, who has the power of life and death in this situation. Then there are the chief priests the religious leaders who hold great authority in the minds and hearts of the people. They're trusted leaders of of the temple and the whole religious life. They're the arbiters of right and wrong for the Jewish people. And they have it out for Jesus. They want to get rid of Jesus. 
As soon as he came into Jerusalem on that donkey, he went right to the temple. And the very next morning, he goes into the temple, turns over their tables, calls them to account, and takes his, his station in the temple, replacing them, and teaches and preaches and heals all week long. He is a threat to their power and authority. And they want to do whatever they can to get rid of him. And so, though they don't have the power that Pilate has, they have the power to influence Pilate. They have the power to influence the crowd, to speak untruths and half-truths and whisper in their ear and do this propaganda campaign to turn the crowd into a mob to oppose Jesus. And that's what they do. Then we have the crowd who on most days don't have much power at all, but on this day, for whatever reason, Pilate gives them the power to choose between Jesus and Barabbas. And because of the influence of their leaders, they go with the flow and they choose Barabbas. And then, of course, there's Barabbas. We don't know a whole lot about Barabbas except what the text tells us, that he doesn't have much power in this moment, but before he was arrested, he used his power for violence, for armed rebellion against the Romans. That was his choice, to use his power in that way, to fight back. And so in this moment, he's freed and given that power again. And Jesus says nothing. We stand by and watch all of the powers at work and, and the injustice that's being done and the unfairness of it all. And I, I don't know about you, but I just want to say, come on, Jesus, say something. Show them who you really are. Tell them you're the Son of God. Surely you can get yourself out of this situation. But he doesn't. We watch as Pilate chooses Barabbas, as the chief priests choose Barabbas, as the crowd chooses Barabbas, as Barabbas chooses Barabbas. But then we realize I want to thank my friend David St. Clair, who spent part of his youth in this church and now joins us on Bible study by Zoom from the state of Virginia every week. He said, you know, we see all of these people choosing Barabbas. Everybody chooses Barabbas. We can never forget that Jesus chooses Barabbas. When it comes down to it, Jesus has the real power in this moment. He knows the power that he has. And knowing that, he nevertheless chooses silence and chooses Barabbas. Because Jesus knows that Barabbas can't be a savior. That the power that Pilate uses cannot save us. The power of the chief priest can't save anybody. It is only Jesus and his willingness to go through with this 
that will save us. The fact that he doesn't run away, he doesn't try to escape the suffering, even though he knows he is innocent, he willingly walks forward so that any human being ever born on this earth who walks through death, who walks through suffering, who is crucified, who is lynched, who is grieving, who is oppressed, who is powerless, will know that they have a Savior who walks with them. Each and every one of us can know that Jesus made that choice that day to be in solidarity with us and the lives that we live and the struggles that we have. There was no other way for love to save us. And so we see with all the worldly powers at work, the greatest power of all is the power of vulnerable, sacrificial, self-giving love. So you may be wondering what Dr. Bob Spain said all those years ago. He stood in the pulpit as the person of Barabbas and said, he took my place and I was never the same again. Barabbas, we can only hope, recognize that Jesus was a savior. I wonder, given the choice, will we also choose that kind of savior?